Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. Rizzo, I hear you knocked up. You do, huh? Yeah. Boy, good news really travels fast. Why don't you tell me about it? What's it to you? I thought I might be able to do something. You did enough. I don't run away from my mistakes. Don't worry about it, Kinnicky. It was somebody else's mistake. In this episode, we're hopelessly devoted to 1978's not-so-shine retiring musical Grease, directed by Randall Kleiser. With a screenplay by Bronte Woodard and Alan Carr, and based on the stage show written by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey, this oiled-up extravaganza is still one of the highest-grossing movie musicals ever made, and remains embedded in popular culture like the milkshake stain you can't get out of your jeans. Tonight we'll be splashing around with Sandy and Danny, before heading to the drive-in with Kanicki and Rizzo. Are the two central relationships in this movie electrifying, or are we throwing our lives away on a dream that won't come true? Two relationships this time. Two relationships. I don't know about you, but so many of the nights out that I've had in my lifetime, there's been a certain point in the evening where I find myself in a place with maybe a bit of a kind of smell of stale booze and sweat in the air. And you hear probably kind of post 11pm, the Grease Megamix. You know, where you have <laughs> summer nights and grease lightning and you're the one that I want all kind of glued together in this kind of sort of blancmange of cheesiness. And um, yeah, and there's that aspect to this film. It's funny, like even if you haven't seen Grease, if you're just going about, you know, and just having a social life, you'll find that the phenomenon of Sandy and Danny, somehow it sort of embeds itself in the kind of landscape of your experiences in this kind of way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think um, the, the music and the songs kind of penetrate every karaoke evening and mm. every want, wannabe aspiring musician will start singing. And it, I suppose we couples as well would be doing probably summer nights rather than you're the one that I want. Be sing, singing gallantly to each other over some sort of cheap Carlsberg and <laughs> yeah. microphones. Bit like a podcast, really. But, um, yes. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's one of those that I think a lot of people. I mean, this one. I mean, this is one of the big, biggest films ever, really. I mean, we, we've talked about some films that haven't been as commercially well known or anything like that. But I think at, for for quite some time, this was I think one of the highest grossing movies ever. Yes. At the time, yeah. after probably after like Jaws and well, Star Wars or something like that. You know, even now, I mean, we're talking like 45 or so years later, it's still massive. Everyone knows the songs. Everyone can still remember bits of it. And more so Sandy and Danny, because being the the kind of central relationship with the stars, but everyone can kind of know the story. Yes. And it's, it's quite basic. And yet there's so many layers to it. And, and it goes on all these themes about reputation and changing and and all these things about showing off and the kind of loss and the getting back together again Hmm. and and it is quite easy to relate to if you've been to any sort of educational establishment as a teenager which unfortunately none of these people did because they were all sort of 25 plus I think when the film was made yes yes um I think that uh, Olivia Newton-John, I think, was 30. 
I think that um, Stockard Channing was in her mid thirties. That's that's the interesting thing, actually. The two the two female leads are both older than their love interests in in the movie, and I think that that I mean we'll go on to talk about that, but I think that does kind of affect maybe your perception of the kind of power balance between the two, just because you know these things always have a subtle effect. I think you know the the casting decisions. So, um, but it's also I think that adds to that feeling of you can you can read Greece as just this um very entertaining pastiche of 50s kind of tro- you know the um like 50s movies and the sort of tropes that you see in them and um the various uh things that were popular during the 50s like you know you could sort of see something like Grease Lightning is just a fantastic kind of homage to Elvis doing Jailhouse Rock or something like that and I think that the fact that most of the actors are so much older than the people that they're meant to be portraying in the movie kind of gives you that sort of distance where it's like the movie sort of telling you don't don't sort of take all of this too literally you know this isn't like meant to be a sort of documentary about what it was like to be in um, secondary school in the 50s we're kind of you know doing this in quite a tongue-in-cheek kind of way I don't know what you think about that well that's the thing I think that that's kind of what makes it a pastiche or a parody enough that not that it overpowers the film and I mean people do joke about the fact that some of especially some of the a couple of the t-birds look like they're probably retirement age and and I think that kind of lifts you and gives you enough escapism but even so like you say with the the power balance with regards to the age in that Rizzo for example being mid-30s she's essentially double the age that she would have been in the film yeah and yet because she's older, because she has that life experience and that confidence and, and everything that goes behind that, she plays it in such a knowing way that it's hard to imagine, but yet you probably know there was one girl at each school in, I don't know, sixth form or, or your, your fifth year or something who was like that. They had that swagger, quite easily broken in the right circumstances. Yeah. But yeah, sort of outwardly anyway, she just seemed to be this kind of the queen, the queen bee. And um, I mean, she was, oh, she was great, wasn't she? Yeah, I mean, I think she's really, really incredible in this. And I think that um, sometimes actually the thing about Greece and people sort of taking it to, seriously to different degrees, in the scenes with her in, I think it doesn't, it feels less like a pastiche than some of the other scenes, just because she's sort of acting in a kind of a different film to everyone else, just because she's so good. And her, mm. like with quite kind of minimal lines, sometimes she can convey a lot of inner conflict. You know, she's not just someone who's, um, yeah, just there to be uh, a bit of a bitch to people. You know, you can you can tell that she's sort of wrestling within herself sometimes about and you know her defenses and all of these things and her chippiness and um and as you say she's she's got this kind of powerful quality to it you could argue that she's kind of the most powerful presence in the film she's sort of inherently cooler I think in some ways than Danny Zuko he um has his moments of incredible cool but then you also see him you know trying to become a jock and he's quite a buffoon in those scenes and (laughs) you know when he's trying to act cool in front of his mates when Sandy's there he also kind of looks quite you know in some ways you're a bit like oh god you know you've got no you've got no self-confidence whatsoever deep down (laughs) do you so um yeah I think that she's in a way you could kind of say that she's the most sort of alpha presence in the movie well here we are again 
Yeah, but this time we're seniors. And we're gonna rule the school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one thing that I kind of focused on a little bit watching it this time was the relationship almost between Rizzo and Danny. Because while they're not a couple at any point in the film, there's a weird chemistry between them. Yeah. Where it's not explained either they should be together because they're the kind of heads of the two gangs or they were together at some point. So, yeah, it, something definitely you know, went down, I think, yeah. Yeah, because then he makes a line about to her about um, sloppy seconds, mm. which gets her face looking like her eyes are about to explode with rage. Yes. She's dating Kaniki, who just sort of sits there, basically taking it. You know, he's having to sit there and watch his supposed best mate and his girlfriend flirting like gorillas mating i suppose there's a lot of posturing and sharp lines and and looks as well yeah um and and he kind of sets in and goes okay well you know i i appreciate i'm second best and and all that but then you know they, they go off and have their own adventures through well not being careful as was uh a lot of drama in that kind of that age i guess probably happened that also happened in every school i suppose yeah, and they seem to have um, quite a fractious relationship too, don't they? Because they have that scene in the diner where they are obviously having some kind of row and then he says, like, why don't I finish with you or something like that? And then she throws a milkshake at him and storms out. Finish this! Finish this! <laughs> finish this! The two distinct gangs in here, you've got the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies. Yeah. You know, and when I watched uh, Grease 2 a few years back and it's one of these gangs where there's a a hierarchy and they kind of no matter who the people are they they go through school they move on and then the next group come up and become t-birds after that so you know at this point in the late 50s the t-birds have been going for you know x number of years and the pink ladies too and this is just like a posturing between the two yes they've written in the stars that the head of the t-birds and the head of the pink ladies have to be together but in this case, they're not. And there is that animosity between them that when Sandy comes along, Rizzo for Eva, I mean, she, she knows she's a bit cruel and mean to her before she knows that she met Danny Zuko on the beach. Yes. But, uh, and, and which implies that's just her way. But yeah, when, when she realises it's Danny, she has a lot of fun with it at Sandy's expense. Yes. Yes, um, you get the sense that Rizzo's a bit threatened, don't you, by Sandy in some ways. Because Sandy, Sandy, in comparison to some of the other people at the height, when she makes her first appearance, or, or at least I know that we see her on the beach, but when she's when she's coming into school, I've always thought that um, she kind of gives gives this sort of feeling of already being kind of like a having the soul of a tired 50-something sort of school nurse or something, you know, she doesn't, she's sort of kind of going, well, you know, I'm no stranger to heartache. And kind of going in, someone sort of says to her, how many days are there left until the holidays? And she knows, and she says, I'm already counting them down. And she's got this this sort of atmosphere about her that's very different, isn't it, from you say all of this sort of strutting and posturing that the other other guys are kind of doing. She's, she in some ways kind of looks more... I don't know, just like, yeah, less self-conscious as a person. And there's probably something about that that um, Rizzo finds a bit of a threat. And I think that kind of culminates, doesn't it, in her singing that song at the sleepover. Mm -hmm. 
is that a common thing to sleepovers i i mean is this just the male fantasy being written for the screen people sort of doing makeup and all that stuff oh i think well in my in my time sleep we did have sleepovers that definitely happened let me see and and you know and it's true i think that the the song that she sings about Sandy, I think that that rings quite true. I think that women, just as men can, I think women can be uh, sometimes nasty about each other. But I think, you know, I think that's just a universal thing that humans do to one another. And um, yeah, and especially when you're at uh, secondary school, if you if different people find different people threats or they think they might be closing in on someone that they want to go out with, I think then it can be quite a common thing for the person to try and undermine that person can't it i mean have you experienced that um should i be really bland and say not really (laughs) okay fortunate (laughs) but um you know but but but, i mean i i didn't try and get in a gang i suppose despite where i grew up i think when um when rizzo says that you know could sandy be in the pink ladies and says no she's too pure to be pink yes that's um that's quite telling yeah that the whole thread of of sandy and danny and i mean we have they're seen at the beach together at the beginning and we think oh this grand love affair and they're separated and and when they get back together there's that after they've sang summer nights of course and i mean some of the lyrics in summer nights are a bit yeah weird. we should talk about summer nights shouldn't we because this is in a way summer nights is in terms of the theme of this podcast you could argue that there isn't a more apt song than summer nights from any musical because it gives you the two different perspectives of two of people in a relationship that are trying to present the relationship quite differently <laughs> especially well especially when you've got you know you've got the additional voices as well because they're almost asking questions yes and when was it Kaniki? i think said to to danny uh did she put up a fight and it's kind of like obviously times have changed but it's still there's that kind of the chase that kind of did you have to win her over that kind of thing and i'm being diplomatic around that yes yeah that line isn't that line isn't so good but as a concept for a, for a song, though, I do think it's very. I think like the, the you know it does have a lot of wit, and I think there's a there's a reason why you still hear it so much now is because there's there's a lot of fun to be had. Because on the one hand, I don't necessarily sort of agree with the with the thing of kind of grouping the male and female into oh when women talk about something having happened, it's all kind of quite romantic or whatever and I don't think that's necessarily true but it is I think that you know there is a good joke to be made out of maybe and you can you can contradict me on this because you'll have a lot more knowledge than I will but um maybe when men get together then presenting an encounter in a particular kind of way sometimes when they're amongst lads (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I'm kind of torn between how it was at my school when Guys would come in and talk about their weekend and you know what what they got up to, literally. And um, yeah, you know that some of it looking back is quite quite crass. But um, yeah, but then when you, you kind of think now, I mean, other than the styles and what's acceptable and not, you know that this probably hasn't changed all that much no no and i think the guys are being sent up in the song i I think that it's sort of you know danny's sort of shown to be i think you're meant to understand that sandy's version of events is going to be closer to what actually happened and so when you see danny give his version you you think you know there's something there's quite a good 
it's quite a nice way to sort of prod fun at that kind of macho posturing, I think. Yeah, especially when, luckily, this is a film, so we have seen what has happened. Yes, and exactly. <laughs> so when, when he refers to, was it, she was good, you know what I mean, and doing all this thrusting. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, a bit of creative license there. Completely. But I like I like the way they have Rizzo being consistent because they have some of the girls sort of asking certain kinds of questions. But then, um, yeah, they have the line, tell me more, tell me more, but you don't got to brag. Tell me more, tell me more. And then Rizzo says, because he sounds like a drag. <laughs> and I've always really liked that. She delivers that with her shades on, kind of reclining <laughs> on the bench. It's always been my favourite bit of that song. Um, but the, although uh, one of my things about Greece in general, is that sometimes I think the T-Birds get better uh, performances or numbers than the Pink Ladies. And I think in Summer Nights, that's kind of demonstrated because it's a great number between between everyone. But I really, really like the way the T-Birds dance on the bleachers. And apparently it was very, very difficult one to choreograph because it's actually very difficult to dance up and down bleachers in the way that they do. But it's quite impressive the way it comes off. So, yeah. yeah. In their jeans and converse. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So I think that even though the, the women win in terms of looking like they're more grounded in reality, the men win on the choreography front. It's strange watching this now, having seen West Side Story, which I only watched uh, before we, we did our episode on it last year. Yeah. Um, and they were actually set in similar-ish times. Yeah, yeah. So in the in the 50s, and, and the fashions weren't wildly different. The, the motivations, of course, were, but uh, it was still love and there were two couples there i suppose as well weren't there so, yes yes that's absolutely true quite quite similar in some ways in, in that respect yeah. yeah so um i mean obviously this was a a lot lighter and uh and that and, and some of the themes in west side story did go a bit darker of but course then, um, of course yes but yeah. then um i mean you, you weren't banned from watching west side story were you <laughs> no I, I wasn't so yes um yes greece was was a film that i that i wasn't um officially permitted to to watch by my elders and betters in in my house because i think they were a little bit anxious about um how uh the how the storytelling that surrounds how sandy um wins Danny's heart I think caused some anxiety about you know how what kind of effect that would have Hmm. on a young woman but I I think that they were unduly anxious I think because when I used to watch it on the sly when I thought that um everyone had gone out (laughs) um (laughs) I actually I actually didn't find Sandy very interesting and I actually would always fast forward over Hopelessly Devoted to You because I had no interest in watching that number. And um, I liked her far better when she went out with the other guy and gave Danny a bit of attitude by the jukebox. I liked that version of Sandy the best, I think. Mm. And then my favourite number, I think, in the whole film was Grease Lightning. So this is the kind of strange thing. I was, I mean, I did have a crush on John Travolta, but I think that I also wanted to be him more than I wanted to be Sandy. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that can sometimes happen, I think. Yeah. 
I mean, it's John Travolta, you know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I see him, I see Nicolas Cage. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, of course. What a different <laughs> argument. But, um, I mean, one of the, the, the strange things looking at it now is when you look at the whole thing that you touched on there about how over the course of the film and, and towards the end, and, and we're jumping around a bit, yeah. but Sandy essentially becomes female Danny in order to woo Danny back. And then Danny becomes male Sandy because just put him in a cardigan and that turns him into a nerd. It's yeah. a strange moral of the story that if you change, you will attract the person you love. There's something about the characterization of Sandy that feels quite all over the place, even when you're watching the movie from a um, perspective of not taking it very seriously. In comparison, I think, to, you know, Rizzo, where you have a much better grasp on what this character um, feels about things. There's something about Sandy's quite abrupt <laughs> way of um, sort of expressing herself and, and um, reacting to certain situations. And then, yeah, that abrupt moment where she watches the race and then says to Frenchie, Frenchie, you know, can I come with you? And um, will you help me with something? And then turns up looking and behaving completely differently. And you're, you're just kind of left not really kind of quite understanding what led to that. Yeah. And, of course, the ultimate question is what happened afterwards? Did they did they revert to type afterwards? Did they uh, go back to how they were in their flying car as they were flying away from the... Well, it's the, hard uh, to... I'd imagine it's hard to sustain a flying car. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's meant to be—it's meant to be indicating her sexual liberation, isn't it? Mm. Um, but I know that Olivia Newton-John was famously sewn into those trousers, and she wasn't able to go to the loo while she was filming these scenes because she was sewn into them, so it just couldn't couldn't be done. And you kind of think, well, if your sexual liberation hangs on you having to wear trousers that you're sewn into, <laughs> then. There's a bit of a contradiction there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it would have been, it would have been interesting as a plot device as such if rather than go off with the kind of bland jock guy um, that she did to to make Danny jealous after after the whole cheerleader rally thing, that she'd actually gone and sort of dated the other fella, the one from the school was it the Scorpions gang. Oh, crater face, crater face. I think that would have been an interesting turn of events. That would have been very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what would have happened there. I wonder what they would have talked about. Yes, <laughs> I mean, deep and meaningful conversations. I mean, you know, when, when you look at uh, over the film and, and the dance scene when um, they, when they're filming the show, and Sandy starts the evening with Danny. Yes, and then. She gets, I mean, it's a weird kind of thing how she gets kind of distracted and led away. It's a bit like a, the dance scene in Back to the Future in 1955. Where, oh, yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the, the fella kind of gets in the way of George and Lorraine towards the end. And in this one, it's, what's her name? Cha-Cha. Cha-Cha. Yeah. Suddenly jumps in as Danny's partner. This, again, sort of glamorous, fierce dancing woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, who's just might as well just have 
opposite of Sandy sort of tattooed on her head just just to just to remind you but yes um, yes I mean it, there's definite heat between her and and Danny but although there's a couple of questions when I think did Sandy ask Danny something like oh how do you know her and she's a friend of the family and it was all very awkward <laughs> yeah. as I guess. They, they've clearly had congress at some point yes completely definitely <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. So there's all of these implications through the movie that all the other uh, women that we see him chatting to are women that he more often than not seems to have already been out with. Hmm. Do you think that Sandy is someone that he is genuinely emotionally invested in? Or do you think we're just meant to take that he is just waiting for Sandy to relax her more, shall we say? (laughs) Um. I, I think because we see at the beginning, at the beach, he's not the Danny Zuko. And this is, again, part of the act that, that Sandy hates when she meets him again. And it's the whole, that's my name, don't wear it out. Um, I mean, that that line was so cool, people used to use it at school. Um, <laughs> yeah, to, to the teacher if they were being fresh. But um, yeah. it's, um, I, I think like you mentioned in the song in, in the summer night song where we we see something that's closer to the truth from the other point of view and the fact that danny is a little bit more on his own with sandy at the beginning he's he's not this kind of putting on this front and i wonder if you know away from all this you know he isn't trying to display a bravado yes that that perhaps this t-birds thing is a a millstone around his neck rather than something he aspires to. No, totally. Which is why I think um, even though I can sort of see that having that ridiculous Lama Lama Ding Dong song at the end is a great (laughs) way to finish your musical and leave everything on a high and, you know, makes it clear that the whole thing is meant to be quite tongue in cheek. It doesn't have that element that some of John Hughes's films try, tries to, kind of hammer home which is the thing that you're touching on there where there is something about high school that obviously has been quite oppressive to someone like Danny and when he's been able to get away from it he's kind of able to evolve and then when he has to go back to it he's sort of forced back into this thing where he's thinking okay I've got to live up to this image and that's the problem with ending the whole thing on such a yeah we're all going to be together forever you kind of think you know you, you began it by making the point that it's not necessarily a good thing for you all to be together forever you've all been actually some of you have got good relationships but some of you have obviously been kind of you know a bit of a thorn in each other's sides during this movie so yeah maybe the but maybe the flying car is meant to represent the fact that he's going to get away from the trappings of having to live up to being a t-bird Maybe this was an early Scientology uh, thing. <laughs> I don't know. That's about. That's as far as that I'm, I'm going to. But, um. <laughs> but then, like, again, you know, talking talk about John Hughes films, I mean, and, and that was one of the themes of saying Pretty in Pink, for example, where yeah. Blaine, the appliance, <laughs> um, he was a different person with Andy, but obviously he was feeling pressure from... James Spader because he would because of James Spader but of course yeah. the high school thing kind of weighs on you heavily and I'm sure if we ever do one about Pretty in Pink we'll, we'll, we'll dig dig into that but mm. um, it is something that I think something that you've got to explore a little bit when you look at these things and that the, the layers of that peer pressure and social 
norm and the fact that he's wearing a black leather jacket means he has to be this cool guy yes whereas it's john travolta is often quite good in that goofy role you know when when you mentioned he was doing the jock stuff Mm. he was trying out for the different sports and and everything he was it was quite amusing to see him doing that because he was out of his comfort zone but he was more he looked a bit more natural as an yeah one of my oh yeah completely one of my favorite shots in the film is that first shot of him you just see his back view and then he turns around and he's got his shades on and he's smoking and you just see (laughs) the the gym you know in the backdrop with people kind of doing various exercises and stuff i always think like that's um it's good it's a good moment kind of showing you why john travolta is this incredible kind of combination of being inherently sort of quite um comic while also being a sort of pin-up. Back to Rizzo and Kanicki, when you look at a a film that is often seen as light and fluffy and and that, when you drill into some of their plot around uh, so say a, a pregnancy or a, or a believed pregnancy that is referred to as a mistake, it gets quite deep at that point and it doesn't get... The, the plot doesn't go as dark as another film I'm sure you'll mention, but these... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the the fact that we've got the kind of light fluffy side there but then you drill into theirs she's off flirting with crater face and going off in his flamey car and all that and um i think he says was it um the quote about he doesn't run away from his mistakes yeah and it's just like things like that where it shows an immaturity yeah that i think you can just about pull off at that age it's like you say, oh, the first uh, you see in TV and stuff, if someone says they're pregnant and the the partner's first reaction will be, is it mine? Yes. You yeah. Know, it's it's a, a tough one to navigate. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think that Kaniki in comparison to Danny comes off better as, as someone that's trying to navigate some of those things in, in more of an adult way. Because, um, as you say, the phrasing isn't necessarily great, but... You do have him, when he's told that she's pregnant um, by somebody else, he, his um, his instinct is to go and talk to her about it, you know, in a, in a completely sort of level-headed way. And he is trying to offer her some kind of support. And then at the end of the movie, unlike all of the other people that Rizzo knows, it's clear that his his view of her hasn't been tainted because of this thing happening between the two he's not sort of degrading her on the basis of the fact that he's already slept with her in the way that Danny does to some of the women that he's been involved with you know so Kanicki in comparison comes off I think quite well um I think that what we were saying before about the that oppressive quality of high school though in that scene at the drive-in where Rizzo tells Marty that she's pregnant and then Marty immediately tells someone and then you see it being spread through the drive-in and then you know and you think you know that's a really good good and um, effective and quick way of showing how when you're in a neighborhood or when you're at a school where there isn't anyone that you can trust you know and and Marty's meant to be one of Rizzo's best friends and obviously she can't sort of trust her not that not to tell someone that can be really yeah, it's just everyone knowing your business, everything knowing, everyone knowing everything that's happening to you can be really quite oppressive, can't it? Yeah, it's that kind of Chinese whispers 
approach. And, and yeah. when you're a teenager and it does feel like, I suppose, if you do have a potentially life-changing event on the horizon, it's difficult because it does take you back a little bit. 25 years or so now back to when you're at school and and you hear these stories about oh did you hear so and so's pregnant and I think they they carried that kind of fairly well in terms of the way they tried to manage it and they there were some silliness around it but but like you say they did try to deal with it in a relatively mature way and and when you think about when um the the drive-in for Sandy and Danny yeah which you know the the way that goes and and he tries to propose to her because that's what 17 year olds do doesn't he just give her his ring yeah 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 and then immediately tries to jump on her because she is his property as we've discussed previously yeah um and then uh his his song which again was a karaoke classic if you because the thing about singing a song about sandy is if it's if you're trying to woo a girl with a similar name you just change the name and it sounds really romantic like if you're doing <laughs> a song called mandy it's better than a barry manilow one yeah no well a sequence like that is a good example of one where i was watching it this time and thinking they have that that scene between them and then he gets up and he sings uh, the Sandy song and behind him I've always appreciated as a good visual gag the thing of the hot dog bouncing around behind him the sausage trying to get into the bun <laughs> and, um, I've always thought that that's that's funny and and that's the thing like it's it's one of those there are quite a few sequences in this movie now where I think well you know t- at this point of life that I'm at now I can appreciate that that's all I think meant to be thoroughly ridiculous and you're not actually meant to be feeling sorry for Danny but you're meant to be kind of laughing at the fact that he's feeling sorry for himself which is kind of different and um yeah and they're playing up the whole visual gag of that as he's delivering that song but then I can but that moment as you say where he tries to jump on Sandy I do I mean when I'm watching it now I do think oh yeah the idea of kind of young people watching that and thinking like oh isn't it adorable that he's trying to force himself on you? You're like, you are, you are a bit head in hands thinking, oh, no. No, I wish they hadn't put that in, you know. It's yeah. Just, yeah it's, um, they, could have, they could have toned it. I think they could have shown, shown him being maybe a bit insensitively fumbly, shall we say, without mm. kind of pushing it that far. What do you think? Yeah, because when... Uh, and there'll be the, 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 the dynamics different between Rizzo and Kanicki when they have their back of the car moment scene, it's all very fumbly. Yes. Um, it's all consensual. There's no yeah, issues consensual. around that. Yeah. And, you know, th- there's even Rizzo's putting us, making herself vulnerable by saying, was it called me by my name? And of course, then he has to try and remember what her <laughs> yeah. actual name is. Which is a problem if you go by a nickname. But it's... Um, yeah. You know, call me Clive. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and in, in that instance, it, it's a lot more natural because they're an established-ish couple and we're taking away the dynamics of whatever her relationship with Danny is or should be or was. But um, they want to do whatever in the back of their car. And he had a, a Chandler Bing-style moment with a condom in his wallet that had been there for so long it disintegrated. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that exchange is, is quite good in a way because um, it shows, for one thing, that he's had the condom for that long and he hasn't used it. So it tells you a little bit about Kaniki and the contrast between his bravado and what's actually been going on with him. And yeah. that is a, that's an interesting little detail about him. 
and yeah also as a as a little moment in a film it maybe tells you in quite a kind of useful way something about contraception and you know that mm. that doesn't necessarily come up in in movies of this kind very often does it so especially not those set in the 50s yeah completely yeah i mean i did read um there was some kind of controversy around when john travolta was doing the grease lightning sequence and he was running around with a cling film and that was supposed to be some kind of metaphor for contraception oh really um <laughs> and that because apparently in the 50s that guys would use cling film because i think usually when uh when there's an un- unexpected pregnancy in a film like this it's it's you usually hear about it in the kind of aftermath and the fact that you kind of actually get the scene of the two of them actually making out and sort of having that inter- interaction kind of you know that, that's quite unusual isn't it where you actually sort of see see how it went because it's it's sort of important because otherwise you wouldn't yeah you you wouldn't be sure necessarily how consensual it was but the fact that they actually let you into that little moment between them as you say is quite important when you want to find out a little bit about their relationship yeah that no one no one was pushing anyone you know that, that it was a it was a totally mutual thing to just sort of go for it despite the fact that they didn't have that as protection you know in a film where we you know, and, and again, West Side Story, we, we did two different relationships that were very different. Uh, one was established and one was new with people from across the tracks, to use that well-worn phrase. This this is quite similar, but again, in that one, was it the Anita and Bernardo were established. There, there wasn't a lot of tension. There was no jealousy and that kind of thing. You know, it obviously ended quite abruptly, but you know, they, they weren't trying to run off with other people just to to get some rise out of the other one yes yes completely completely no it's it's much more high school tactics isn't it not that adults aren't aren't um capable of of doing that to each other sometimes i think that the song that rizzo sings is really interesting in terms of like it, it kind of where she sort of talks about the kind of person that she is the, the line about, I could stay at home every night, wait around for Mr. Wright, take cold showers every day and throw my life away on a dream that won't come true. I think it's a really effective lyric. And it's quite, it's, it's quite, it just, I think, it, you know, it genuinely sort of makes you think a little bit about how when we're all doing that moment in our life when we're kind of being young and um, we make all of these choices about how kind of wildly to live or or not so wildly how you have that hanging over you a little bit don't you where you kind of think should I be being as wild and reckless as possible because I'm meant to be sort of grabbing my youth by the horns or should I be being really idealistic about what I want to do and be much more sort of conservative and and picky about kind of what what I do in the hope that you know the thing that I really want will come kind of knocking on my door do do boys have that um possibly a little bit I think there is an element where you kind of you at least hope that the person or the next one is the right one or the not the forever one but you know I mean the the grand one that sweeps you off your feet a little bit but um 17 year old boys will take what they can get I could flirt with all the guys smile at Yeah. 
They were worse things I could do. I could flirt with all the guys, smile at them and bat my eyes, press against them when we dance, make them think they stand a chance, then refuse to see it through. That's a thing I'd never do. So there's something about Rizzo where she thinks it would kind of make her, as they say, a tease if she went and did do close dancing with guys or made out with them, but then didn't sleep with them. And there's something really interesting about that, isn't there? As a kind of mindset where you where you want to where you want to say to it, you're a teenager, it's absolutely fine to go and <laughs> to go and do that and not sleep with them if you don't feel like it. If you do want to sleep with them and you're careful about it, then obviously that's fine too. But um, that thing about her obviously feeling that she has a kind of moral obligation to not lead these guys on to think that they might have a chance of sleeping with her and then not actually doing it is kind of a painful thing to to watch, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess, you know, as long as she doesn't feel the succumb to the pressure of doing something she doesn't want to do. Well, exactly, then, um, exactly, yeah. She, she, she's young-ish. Um, yeah, totally. No, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, and I guess, like, in this film, I mean, some, some musicals more than others, you get a theme where the music actually drives the story and, and drives what we're talking about. Yes. Um, sometimes you can probably musicals and i'm not going to talk about south park the musical or anything like that but that where the songs actually explain a lot and like you said with that one that, that rizzo sings yeah and summer nights they actually pose questions to talk about they're not just there because they've got a fun melody and they've got the dance yes um which i think you're the one that i want kind of falls into a little bit more yeah um but those couple they do really kind of drive some of the motivations behind the characters and why they act the way they do what why they do what they do yes and i think that's kind of the clever thing that they that the film does is it uses the songs to establish the characters and the relationships um in a way that a lot of them don't not just because the music sounds good um but they're actually used properly yeah yeah i i completely know what you mean I think that something that I wish that it maybe had that it doesn't that it's at, I haven't seen Grease 2 full disclosure but I mm. have seen yeah I've seen bits of it and something that I and you can and you can tell me more about this something that I think that it might do a little bit better than Grease is that it gives something that I wish Grease had was a number that was given to Rizzo and the Pink Ladies where Rizzo in a joyous way Mm. sings about how she enjoys living her life as Rizzo, that we're not just given her solo painful number, that we're also given her version of Grease Lightning, you know, where it's her living her life, living her best life. <laughs> and we sort of see that. And it sounds as like if Grease too is maybe a little bit better at, at doing that, maybe. Yeah, because yeah. well, um, Michelle Pfeiffer gets the, the cool rider number. Yes, and yeah. Was it something, what was one of the lines? I want a... Uh, devil in skin tight leather or something it's yeah. awful but it's kind of it's her big number yeah and exactly it, she gets you know, to she, be yeah yeah she gets to be this kind of triumphant on top of a ladder improbably um, totally yeah but um there are a lot of aspects to it that are probably a bit more forward thinking and yes. a bit more equal and um and the fact that in that film it kind of makes the guys and the T-Birds, it, it makes fun of them more. If you really want to know what I want in a car, well, I'm looking for a dream on a meat machine with 
when you're thinking about the relationships in this one, as you say, you're left thinking, are, are there a few too many bits where the, the women are having to kind of employ other guys to make the other guys jealous while the guys are, you know, doing something like racing each other or working on this car and having a great time doing it. So even though they like to chase after chicks, they also have these other things that are motivating them. And it would be, yeah, it'd be nice to see see the women have that a little bit more too because as I say that there's something about the fact that I wasn't as, as a young woman I wasn't very interested in Sandy and I would look forward to that grease lightning thing I mean you know just because you think that for the guys that's just such a great number it's so great it's like a real it's a real moment for them as as a as a group of group of people having a brilliant time together at a certain moment in their lives what do you think of the gym scene i really like the gym scene i think it's really well filmed i mean it's it's fabulous god that sounded really musical didn't it (laughs) i think obviously it's choreographed amazingly yeah it's it's strange to see that i i think it, it there is some elements in there that are quite scampish you know the whole trying to spike the punch and the yeah, moon into the cameras yeah. and everything that, that seem quite, you know, just to kind of ground things a little bit. But, um, I mean, the, the dancing is it's crazy, isn't it? It's, uh, this isn't a high school dance. This, this isn't the enchantment under the sea. You can see that John Travolta is obviously very good at dancing and that's where having someone being able to do that helps you know these aren't stunt doubles or cgi or anything and i think olivia newton john wanted a dance number but because she's not a dancer it was kind of written that she'd be there at the beginning before cha-cha takes over oh and, i see uh, yes yeah and 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 steals the show a little yeah. bit but um i mean it's, um, it's um, the choreography was fantastic and the music and everything you, know, you can see why it's a, a big hit yeah i think that to bring up a John Hughes film again, I think that the dance scene at the gym in 16 Candles feels a little bit influenced by the dance scene in the gym in this one, because it has that thing of, um, I mean, sometimes I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've seen musicals made more recently, it's so slick. Whereas the, the, the dance scene in Greece is brilliantly, there's, it is a bit seedy in lots of ways um it's it's chaotic and it's messy and you think that's the thing like secondary school dances are like that that's the reality if you try and make it too slick you're just taking out what young people are like when they're together you know yeah i mean the 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 bit where the principal and they're kind of warning them about i can't remember the exact phrasing but about obscene dancing yeah you know and you've got Bits where they're basically, and I'm sorry for lowering the tone horribly, and I'm sure you probably never speak to me again after this. I think there's a bit where it looks like someone's getting tea bagged. <laughs> there's, you know, some of the stuff in there is like, whoa. You know, even in a film, you kind of go, oh, okay, that's, uh, you know, I'm sure this is not what you learn at Sunday school. <laughs> um, you know, when you watch even Strictly Come Dancing now or something like that, mm. you choreograph, but it's stylish and then respectful and yes yes you know whereas this is kind of provocative deliberately yeah. so yeah completely yeah. and i think it's uh, i think it's a big sort of reason why this film is still so loved is it's got um quite a cut in some ways quite an improvised feel and um it's not too meticulous and it's got it's sort of brave enough to be quite yeah kind of um seamy and um yeah, just like quite. I think people prefer it when when something is quite 
real in its own way about um, how naughty young people can be when they're put together you know it's like there's no there's no point in sugarcoating it too much because we all know what what goes on what do we think we're being told even if it's in a very kind of um jokey way what are we being told about gender roles when it comes to sir sandy like because you know we we talked earlier about how at the beginning of the movie in the opening sequence which has got barry gibbs Greece theme song which is my personal favourite song of the film mm. uh, over it where you have her at her dressing table with a little cartoon bunny <laughs> and a, a little deer so they're really sort of you know playing up to this idea of her being this little angel so mm. it makes it extra funny at the end where you see her in her black pants I mean what do you think they're kind of meant to be sort of poking fun at the at the thing of where women are kind of separated into into being tarts and being angels. What, the whole prim and proper thing? You know, it's like something out of a Disney animated movie, isn't it, where the the, the animals and that. So it's like Snow White or something. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly, yeah, yeah. I think they're, they're having fun with it. And, I mean, Olivia Newton-John walked so that Kylie could fly. But <laughs> That's <ultimately. laughs> true. <laughs> I reconcile myself to the conclusion of the movie a little bit more, I think, recently when I listened to the lyrics of you're the one that I want. And I did notice that it has lines in it, like to my heart, I must be true and you better mm. shape up and things. And I was thinking, oh, actually her side of that song is quite, it isn't necessarily sort of saying I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And I'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah. this passive, you know, doormat for you from now on. It's actually quite assertive and doesn't go against what we've seen from her character in the movie. In, in, in some ways, it's just the image that, changes and yeah. her demeanor as well her attitude in that final scene is 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 much more sort of confident and actually olivia newton john looks like she's having a better time i think in some ways in that final scene than in the rest of the movie she looks sort of more relaxed and like she's gonna get her teeth into something hmm. but yeah so i i suppose you can just you can just kind of take it as maybe her kind of um being a bit cheeky changing her image just to kind of um see him fall to his knees with that John Travolta stunned expression yeah, and, um, yeah. totally worth it I'm sure she'll say <laughs> one thing about that climax though is I, I think that um, I think that that song even though it's one of the most famous ones in the movie and it's the big climax I think it's I think it's I don't know I don't really like that song very much I think it's like sort of like bad country song <laughs> he's saying it'd be uh, sort of a Dolly Parton Kenny yeah, Rogers yeah it's got that vibe to it do you know what I mean I don't it, know it merges seamlessly into islands in the stream and yet you've got on the other hand Rizzo and Kanicki who get on they fall out they get on they fall out um, at that age it seems a lot more realistic I think yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's true. It, it feels like two, two people that are a bit unsure of what they want, but they're trying to find each other. Yeah. Do you think we made the right call, Rizzo and Kanicki? We'll go to their wedding and not Danny and Sandy. <laughs> I have to say, at the, at the end, they look like um, they've got good chemistry, haven't they? Hmm. They enjoy being together. Although they don't get to do a dance with each other in... The Madhouse. I do like the way you're the one that I want takes us through them going into one of those 
You know those houses that you have at fairgrounds? That are like yeah. the crazy house. Yeah, with like revolving floors and things, yeah. I think they go into a bit that says the Shake Shack. Mm. Which, yeah, we're back to milkshakes, aren't we? <laughs> we start there, we end there. Exactly. But all of the, yeah, dancing together in a madhouse is actually in its own way quite a good metaphor for what it's like to be in an adult relationship. Apparently so. Well, as we burn up the quarter mile and coast through the heat lap trials, we leave you with the question, are you too pure to be pink? I've been Kat. I've been Rich. And this has been Don't You Want Me? Let me